0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the happiest place in the world. No, not Disneyland. No. No, it's Coffee with Scott Adams, and it's the best thing that's ever happened to anybody. And let's take it up to stratospheric levels. In order to do that, we'll need something. You'll need something. Something to hold your beverage, and all you need is a cupper mug or a glass of tanker, or stein, a canteen jug or a flask, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. Oh, I like coffee. Join me now for the unparalleled pleasure, the dopamine hit of the day, the thing that makes everything better. It's called the simultaneous sip. It happens now. Go. Oh, that's so good. Pardon my caffeine orgasm. It was good for me. Well, I continue my quest to fly as close to the sun as I can. The Dilbert comic has only been partially canceled so far, <laughs> meaning that some of the large newspaper chains have stopped running it. Uh, I don't know if they're canceling it or just not running it because of the content. But I continue to hit this theme of ESG. Today's comic will feature um, the CEO talking to Catbert, the head of, head of HR, having a little conversation there. And I'll read it to you. Uh, the, the CEO says to Catbert, uh, our ESG score will drop if we open a new factory that adds CO2 to the atmosphere. The CEO, CEO goes on, but we can balance that out by adding more diversity to our board. And Katber says, how much uh, CO2 do you plan to add? And the CEO says, one non-binary board member's worth. That's right. If you're measuring ESG, you've got a score for environment and social things and governance and diversity and all that stuff, and... It seems to me that if you're feeling a little weak in one, you could balance that out by being a little stronger in the other, right? Now, in reality, they probably give individual grades for all that stuff. (laughs) But I thought it was funnier to treat it like it was one grade. (laughs) Because in effect, it will be. Now, how many of you have been involved in any kind of a large organization that had any kind of data that it needed to track and report to people. Is anybody involved in that, that situation? A large organization where you had to collect data. Now ESG is something that large organizations are doing that uh, is being sort of imposed from the outside, these standards for their environmental policies and their social policies and their governance. So you got all these outside forces. What happens in a situation where you have outside forces telling you to measure something that is very subjective. Another, no, well, it's not subjective um, conceptually. That's not subjective at all. But if you're going to decide what data counts and what doesn't, it starts getting really subjective. <laughs> so you've got the most subjective situation you could. <clears throat> you know, for example, if you looked at a, at a company's uh, environmental impact, should you also consider their suppliers? How do you decide that? Now, I think the answer is yes. You do consider their suppliers because the suppliers are part of the larger environmental thing. So the answer is yes. All right? Now, that's easy, right? Very objective. But what if one of the suppliers has no alternative? What if you can't make the thing you make without using that supplier, and that supplier's a little bit of a problem. And what if the thing you make is just essential for the country? <laughs> it's not like an iPhone. Like it's food or energy or something. Right? So you have all these situations where you might find that the only way to do something that's essential for the world is to put off a little more CO2 than you want to in one little area. So what, what does a company do when they've got a bad a bad score. And the only people who have access to the raw data is the company itself. So only the company itself really knows all of its inputs and outputs. And it gets to (laughs) self-report what it's doing. (laughs) How in the world could these numbers be useful and really comparable to anything else? They couldn't possibly be. Uh, By design, this is a system that's designed it's designed to create liars out of everybody. That's what it's designed to do. Now, not intentionally, but the design of it will force people to lie just to get through the day. Yeah, yeah, that, that wasn't our CO2. That was a, a vendor. But we, we don't use that vendor anymore. You know, it's going to be, there's going to be all, yeah, greenwashing will be the name for it. So... I'm still still after ESG. Remember, I promised you that I would kill it by the end of the year. Now, of course, it's not the sort of thing that could ever be completely killed. But by the end of the year, I want everybody to know that the popular view of it is that it's bullshit. Meaning the the, the, the view not from the top is that it's bullshit. And the Dilbert comic does that. It kind of sends that message that the, the, uh, the common view of it is as bullshit. So we'll see if that makes a difference. Um, Biden continues to divide the country successfully. So there's a new Harvard-Harris poll. It says 73% of Democrats and even 20% of Republicans, which is shocking when you hear this. So 73% of Democrats and even 20% of Republicans and even 42% of independents believe the following statement is true that there are tens of millions of dangerous MAGA Republicans backing violence and trying to overthrow the Constitution. Tens of millions. (laughs) What? Uh, Our president, President Dumbfuck Biden, managed to convince the country that there are tens of millions of dangerous MAGA Republicans who are looking to use violence to overthrow the Constitution. Do you know what MAGA Republicans don't do? Overthrow the Constitution is <laughs> literally the opposite of what they do. It, like, how can you convince, well, I guess it's easy, 73% of Democrats that wet is dry, up is down, you know, blue is orange, I mean, literally, if you were to define what a MAGA republican is, wouldn't you start with, don't change the Constitution? That's where you start. That's the most basic assumption is don't, you know, don't... Uh All right, we'll hide you. So, most basic assumption. And what do you do with a president who convinces the country that it's having an imaginary civil war? I I feel like that's the worst president you could possibly have. Somebody who convinces you that you're in a civil war when you're not. Has anybody walked outside in the last few weeks? Uh, How was the war? Was it dangerous? Did Did you run into any of the tens of millions of dangerous MAGA Republicans looking to overthrow your Constitution? You know, when I joke about the fact that we're having an imaginary civil war, that's not a joke. We are literally, literally experiencing the mental equivalent of an imaginary civil war which apparently 73% of Democrats believe they're right in the middle of it. Like the war, the imaginary war is blazing away and people have taken sides and, you know, all kinds of dangerous MAGA Republicans backing violence to overthrow the Constitution. Now, I guess that's the weirdest part. If you had told me, if you had told me that Democrats have uh, persuaded the country that MAGA Republicans were just bad, just, let's say just generically bad in whatever way, I would say, all right, well, okay, maybe. Maybe from your point of view, they're bad. And there are tens of millions of MAGA Republicans. So I think if it was a general, a general kind of insult, I'd say, okay, that's just politics. But when you say that they are the opposite of what they are, I don't even know what that is to say that mega-Republicans want to overthrow the Constitution when it's literally the definition of the opposite of what they are. And yet 73% of Democrats are like, uh-huh. And 20% of Republicans also believe that all these imaginary mega-anti-Constitutional people exist. It's really mind-boggling that there's something that lied this big be so successful. But here we are. Well, here's the uh, good news. Apparently, uh, there's a company that is completing a one-year test to see if they can make uh, energy out of the ocean, the ocean waves specifically. And They created some kind of an artificial blowhole. Did you ever see a blowhole? There's one in Maui that's kind of cool. Every time the wave comes in, it creates a little um, pressure thing. It shoots water up in the sky from a hole. Well, they've created an artificial one that uses the wave action to create an artificial blowhole to move a generator. And apparently it worked. It worked. It's off the coast of Australia. Now, the beauty... Now, it's it's not really refined yet. The design apparently works, but it's not super efficient compared to other things and not even super reliable compared to other things. But it's getting there. So I've always wondered why we couldn't harness uh, ocean movement, given that ocean movement is pretty predictable, right? And pretty pretty dramatic. I mean, the ocean's pretty heavy. (laughs) It can move a lot of stuff. So it always seemed to me that ocean power was the obvious way to go. And I was always a little surprised we hadn't gotten there yet. Yeah, tides and whatnot. It kills sea life, does it? I don't think it has to, but I see your point. It seems like if you put a big noisy mechanical thing in the ocean, that couldn't possibly be good for the sea life. That's a good point. But it does seem to me that that now the design that I imagined was simpler. The design I imagined was that sitting on the top there'd be a buoy, and as the waves go up and down, the buoy would go up and down, and the buoy would be attached to some kind of a generator, that the up-and-down motion generates something. Now, it seems to me that would be the most obvious, but it's probably pretty hard to engineer. Maintenance nightmare, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's probably really hard to engineer something where the exact motion is super variable. Yeah. Tidal generators are a thing, but I expected them to be much bigger. All right. Anyway, that's a little good news. Um, I'm so happy to see that the political right, especially the media, has picked up a trick from the left. Let's see if you noticed the trick. I think it was in the Washington Examiner, was it? There was a uh, report of an anonymous FBI source, anonymous source, who says that uh, the FBI is trying too hard to like, find white supremacists and that the supply of white supremacists is too low for the demand. The demand for white supremacists is higher than the supply. From, uh, and it's from an anonymous, anonymous source within the FBI. Huh. An anonymous source who is saying exactly what one political side says. It's right on the nose, isn't it? Right on the nose. Just, not only do they say what you want to hear, but they even use the same language. How many times have you heard the... Um, and it's a clever and true statement that the supply of uh, white supremacists is too low for the demand. All right? That is way too non-credible. <laughs> now, let, let's make you feel ashamed. How many of you automatically believed the story was true because it agreed with exactly what you think is true. Did anybody just like automatically believe that story? <laughs> Some of you did. That's, that's how confirmation bias works. Now, keep in mind, I'm not telling you it isn't true. How would I know? I don't know that. I'm just saying that if you make it a habit of believing an anonymous source who says something that's exactly what the people who are not anonymous sources are saying, the odds of it being true are very low, very low. Now, let me, let me make sure that I'm being careful here. I definitely believe that what the alleged whistleblower is saying is almost certainly true. I don't believe there's an alleged whistleblower saying it. <laughs> it, it just probably is one of those things that's Obviously true, but you need somebody to say it so you invent him. Now I'm not saying he was invented. could be true just don't don't assume there's any credibility to an anonymous source. Um, but it does seem to me that it is almost it's almost got to be true that the FBI is trying hard to turn things into white supremacy, right? Don't you think that that the general idea that the government has given directions to make sure you find as much of this white supremacy as you can, even if you have to, you know, shade it a little bit. You know what I mean? Even if you got to be a little uh, subjective, a little bit subjective about what you call white supremacy. So that's going on. Uh, Elon Musk tweeted that his tweets are being suppressed, and I wondered if he had stopped tweeting because I had noticed he was sort of missing. And then he says his tweets are being suppressed. And I looked at his tweets and I thought, oh, I used to see these all the time. Now I don't. Um, So I wonder wonder if this is exactly what it looks like. Because exactly what it looks like is that uh, Elon accused Twitter of messing with the algorithm... And then they got mad at Elon Musk, and so they messed with the algorithm to suppress him. Now, I don't know if that happened, because, again, this is, this is a perfect confirmation bias trap, right? Isn't this story a little too on the nose? <laughs> yeah, you're going to get sick of me saying this, but I'm sorry. It's a little on the nose. Now, I also think it's true. So both, both things could be true, right? Something could be a little too on the nose because it's true. It doesn't always mean it's, it's false. Uh, you know, If we assume that Twitter treats everybody the same, then he would probably have some algorithm trouble too. right? Being, a, being on the nose doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means that that should, that should alert you to uh, you know, a credibility question. That's all it should do. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it seems like my Twitter account is being suppressed, so why wouldn't his? So I'm assuming it's true. Sounds true. Well, here's the part that I doubt. I doubt that somebody did it like as a, uh, a conscious act. I think maybe the algorithm did it. What do you think? I think the algorithm did it, but maybe it was just part of a you know, some larger algorithmic thing. I think it's happening. I just don't know that somebody went in and tweaked the code to suppress Elon Musk specifically. Don't know about that. But it does look like he's he's being suppressed. All right. Um, Thomas Massey had a tweet here. I guess Biden was on CBS 60 Minutes last night. And when asked about the uh, so-called secrets from the mar lago boxes. Um, he said that no one has briefed him on the contents of those national security secrets, but he thinks that you know other people are handling it. Uh, is that a problem? Well, no matter how you interpret this, it's very bad. I don't think there's a good way to interpret this, is there? Can you think of a good way? All right. Number one, if the contents of those boxes are truly important, meaning that there are secrets that matter, and the president hasn't been told, that's a very big problem. Would you agree? That if what's in there is important, and it's the number one headline, etc., and the president of the United States, the keeper of all of our secrets, hasn't been told, hasn't even been told, That's a gigantic, gigantic problem. You'd all agree with that, right? I mean, that's just obvious. Now, what if he has been told and he's lying on 60 Minutes? Well, given that the entire uh, reason for running for president was to stop all the lying, that's a big problem. (laughs) It's a really big problem. So if he's telling the truth, it's a big problem. If he's lying... That's a big problem. What about the other possibility? That there's nothing important in the documents, and that's the reason he hasn't been told. That's a big problem. (laughs) That's a really big problem. Is there a third possibility that's not a really big problem? Because these are all flaming red flags that the country is being screwed aggressively like right in front of you. And it doesn't matter which one of those is true. Or a memory lapse, right? If it's a memory lapse, it's a big problem. Every every spin you could put on this, no matter how you interpret what it means, it's a big problem in terms of you know, the quality of our presidenting. So uh, I guess we've just gotten so beaten down by uh, incompetence or the appearance of it that we're willing to accept just about anything now. It's like anything goes at this point. Just crazy stuff. All right, what do you do in a country where everybody's crazy and nothing's getting done, it seems like sometimes? Well, I decided to see if I could take control of the country. And here's the funniest part about this. You might think I'm kidding. (laughs) But here's the thing. It's completely doable. That doesn't mean I'm likely to get it done. The the odds would be against me. But there's actually a path for me to take over the country. It's unlikely. It's unlikely. And if it worked, I'd probably get assassinated in a day. But the path has opened up. And here's what it looks like. Would you agree that neither... Neither candidate. We assume that it's going to be Trump versus Biden. starting to look that way. Does it look like anybody has a plan to do anything about fentanyl? No, right? It doesn't look like it. I haven't even seen anybody talk about it in a way that even seems a little bit serious. Not at all. And so it might be the biggest problem. You could argue, what's the biggest problem? But our government is just missing in action. Now, we also have a Joe Manchin government meaning that things are so close that all it takes is one person who is willing to vote on either side, and that person ends up controlling stuff. So I'm going to do a Joe Manchin play to try to control just enough people who would be willing to say they don't have to commit to it, It would be no contract, but people would be willing to say that there would be a single-issue voter this time. And the single issue would be, what the hell are you doing about fentanyl? And I would take, I would take an aggressive plan, even if I didn't know if it would work, but at least be aggressive about it. And so here's the deal. I tweeted that um, whoever comes up with the best plan, if we can get 10 million people to commit, that they will vote for whoever has the best fentanyl plan. Now, again, they just have to say they will do it. There's no way to check their intention and there's no way to check if they voted. It's not a contract, right? You're not, you're not agreeing. And nobody's going to say you broke your word, right? That's, that's not part of this. I'm just saying that if you could get 10 million people to say, you know, if one of you assholes came up with something that looked like an actual plan, you might get my vote. If I can get 10 million people to say that, then they're going to have to come up with a plan and they're going to have to compete. So I don't want to control the country. I want the people who are running to control the country to give us a plan. And if one of them wants to compete, there's 10 million votes that are at least going to be leaning in your direction more than they would have. right? And, yeah, that's right. I don't vote, but that's a different topic. There's a reason for that. Now, um, someone pointed out on Twitter, correctly, that I've made this claim before, that I could, that I could talk about myself, that I could be a single-issue voter, and I've mentioned different things. For example, I could be a single-issue voter on a president saying, we're going to go gung-ho for nuclear energy. We're, we're just going to like get rid of these regulations. We've got to build 20 of these in 10 years, whatever it is. And it wouldn't matter if it was Democrat or Republican. If, if any president said that, I would, I'd say, all right, that's probably so important, I'd be willing to put up with your other badness if I don't like it. What about the uh, school boards? If, if a president said, my main thing is I'm going to try to neuter the school boards and give you a school choice, I would say, I'm not even sure, I don't care which president that was. I don't care, Democrat or Republican. If you can do that for me, That would be such a big issue that I might be influenced by that one topic. Now, there are other people who have their own one topic, right? Abortion might be your one topic, and I wouldn't argue with you on that, if that's important to you. I'm just saying that we have a system that doesn't work, and one solution would be to force our uh, politicians to compete. Because do you think they're really competing on policy? Do you think Biden and Trump, when they run together, run against each other, if they do, do you think that they will compete on policy? They'll talk about it, but not really. Not really. Because Trump will say the same thing he always said. Biden will say the same thing he always said. And then you're going to say, well, what are either of you going to do about, you know, the teachers' unions? I think I said school boards instead of teachers' unions. I meant teachers' unions. What are you going to do about teachers' unions? Uh, Blah, blah, nothing. What are you going to do about fentanyl? Uh, Nothing. They're not competing. So I think you need to make Trump compete. He's not competing. What has Trump offered? Fuck nothing, right? Nothing. A return to the way we were. That is so lame and pathetic. We need actual aggressive plans for making things better. Yeah, I mean, you assume Trump would uh, tighten up the border and stuff, but that's not going to help you with fentanyl too much. Yeah, there's the the image of the dead people. Uh, make heroin cheaper than fentanyl? You know, let me also say that I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know what the right answer is. You know, some say legalize it all. Maybe. I mean, it might be. Maybe, maybe you just test it somewhere. Anything you can test, I'm not going to argue about. I'm going to say, well, then test it. Find out. Might be exactly what you need. Um, yeah, and the people saying that if you made heroin cheaper and legal, then the fentanyl wouldn't be competitive. But I don't know. Is that the best we can do? <laughs> is the best we can do to addict people to heroin instead of fentanyl? It might be. That might actually be the best we can do. But I think we could try harder than that. Um, so here's the interesting thing. January 6th is this major headline for you know however many months now. And it's based on the ridiculous assumption that whatever happened on January 6th was something like an insurrection or a coup. <laughs> when when nobody can explain how people walking in, into a building overthrows a country. Now, like, nobody can explain that. Like, Okay, suppose suppose they'd all gone in the Capitol and just sort of stayed there. Does that make them own the country? Do they get to make some legislation because they're squatting in the building? Would we just roll over and say, oh, well, they got our building. They got our building, all right? So the ridiculousness of the claim that that was an insurrection attempt, is insane. But here I'm doing an insurrection attempt right in front of you, and people will just ignore it. Because <laughs> imagine if this works. Everything I'm doing is legal and transparent, so I don't have any legal risk. But I am, literally, no joke, trying to take control of the government. Because if this works, and it's very low, low likelihood, Right? But if it worked, it would become a model for the next topic. And then I would just do it again. And I would just Joe Manchin this thing until the government had to compete. Now, what I want is to not have power. I know it's hard to believe. But I don't really want a job. <laughs> I don't want to run the government, you know, make sure the garbage gets picked up and shit. I don't want to do that. I just want them to compete. But if they're not going to compete, I'm just going to fucking try to take control. So I'm literally going to try to take control of the government policy for fentanyl, at least. And if it determines who the next president is, so be it. If they don't want to compete, they don't get to win. That's just the way it's supposed to work. Now, what would it take for me to succeed? So I've got three quarters of a million Twitter followers. It probably would take 10 million retweets, and then I would actually be in charge of the country. Anybody wanna argue with that? 10 million retweets on that point, and then people would start following me to see, okay, who do you think has the best fentanyl policy? And I would say, on day one, I'd say, nobody, nobody. There's zero competition. So I wouldn't even recommend, I would make no recommendation based on today's situation. But if the election heats up and one of them comes up with an actual plan, then I might encourage the 10 million to lean in one direction versus the other. Now, it's just sort of a pressure on our our politicians to do better, right? To compete. They're just not competing. And... The reason they don't compete is that we don't make it important for them to compete. As long as they have your vote reliably just by making you mad, why would they compete? They could just make you mad, and then you'll vote for their side. Look at what that other side is doing. You know, if, if the entire election is about how bad the other team is, that's not even governing. That's nothing. So we've allowed our government to descend into complete uselessness and maybe there needs to be some, some counter-pressure. So this is the offer and uh, I don't think that I can break out of my um, social media bubble. You know, it would, it would have to penetrate to the Democrats to make any difference at all, which I don't think I can do. But it would only take... It would only take one prominent Democrat to retweet it, and you're off to the races. Because right? that would be news in, of itself. So I can't make this happen. It would require you know, larger blue checks to say, you know, maybe. Let's give it a shot. Uh, Twitter isn't God. Okay, that was the most useless comment of the day. Thank you for not understanding anything. Um <laughs> you read it, yeah, if they don't address the Hitler, if they don't address the issue, they're Hitler all right um Twitter is a media source all right look, give me a uh give me a reaction to my plan. number one, is it feasible? that I could ever control a block of voters to help them decide on the one issue which way to lean, Is it feasible? It is, actually. I think it's feasible. Now, that's different than being likely. It's very unlikely, because it would be a remarkable thing if it happened. But it's it's in the realm of things that can happen. Because remember, the entire friction... Here's the entire friction. Uh, well, that might be a good idea. Click. Literally, I'm just trying to get 10 million people to move a thumb. Boop. That's it. Just move a thumb. Read it and go, okay. With three quarters of a million people following them, to move their thumb, click. There's no downside. Right? Nobody's committing anything. All you're doing is saying, well, if this puts pressure on the government to compete better, everybody wins. Make them compete. So I put it out there because I think my odds of uh, controlling the country are greater than the January 6th people. How about that comparison? What What is more likely, that I, can, I could wrest control from the government, at least on this topic, or that the January six people could take over the government? It's not even close. So we don't even know the difference between wet and dry, up and down. Here I am literally and publicly putting a legitimate attempt together to take control of the government of the United States, at least on this topic. And and people will treat that like it's it's sort of no big deal. But because the press tells you that January 6th was an insurrection because some people were in a room... (laughs) That's the story for two years. All right. Uh, I should wear a Viking hat. That would work. What percent of Americans are not on Twitter? So that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many are not on Twitter uh, because the plan doesn't work if it stays on Twitter, right? So I agree with that. Twitter by itself is not big enough, but if something trended on Twitter, it would jump over to Facebook, it would jump over to Instagram, it would jump over to TikTok, so Twitter would just be a you know, sort of the uh, starter, but after, but it would have to you know get a get a burn of its own to make a difference. Now. I've been watching your comments go by, and the weirdest thing about this is there doesn't seem to be much doubt that it's possible. So we'll see. We'll see. You know, it's funny. I was I was just sitting here yesterday being angry again about the lack of action on fentanyl. And, and when it occurred to me that I could just change it myself, it was the weirdest thought. I'm just sitting there thinking... I wonder if I could change it. And then I realized, okay, I do have the talent. In other words, I could frame it in a way that was compelling. And I almost have enough attention. I don't have enough attention. So the the size of my platform is not nearly big enough to make this change. So I would have to leave the platform, and other people would have to embrace it at some scale. Otherwise, it doesn't happen. All right, Erica, if your only job over here, you're not the good Erica, you're the bad Erica. There's a bad Erica over here. So we're going to hide you on that channel. You're now gone, Erica. You can comment all you like. Nobody will see it. Um, wait, uh, hold on, Geomac. Uh, somebody came in late. We have somebody on YouTube came in late and did not catch the simultaneous hip. Um, we're going to do a makeup sip. I don't do this often. You, you need to be on time, right And so I don't want to reward lateness. but I'm going to how about the interim interstitial simultaneous sip that has never been a thing but could become a thing because it's so awesome. Get ready for the makeup simultaneous sip go. That was 50% because I care about my viewers and 50% because I was thirsty. But you put those together, action. All right, I'm going to leave you with uh, one gift. Anybody want a parting gift? i like to put this at the end to train you to stay till the end. Because when there's nuggets, they'll be at the end. Here comes a nugget. I'm going to uh, hypnotize you. So if that's not for you, you should um, say, say good day. I'm not going to put you into a trance. Right? This will be a talking hypnosis. I'm simply going to reframe something for you to take some of your problems away. Now, actually, they won't go away. They'll diminish, right? which is good. You just want them diminished. Now this is a topic that you've heard before, but what's powerful about this topic is that each time you hear it, it gets stronger. So it's something that you've thought of on your own, of course, what I, and what I'm gonna say will be even obvious. It'll strike you as obvious, but it will still work because it's an obviousness you wanna focus on. And what becomes true are the things you spend your time thinking about. So I'm going to change you from thinking about something else that maybe was bothersome to thinking about something that will make you feel better. And all I'm going to do is change your focus. And that will be good enough. And now I'm going to do it right in front of you. You know those things in your past that are giving you PTSD and trauma and they're haunting your thoughts? They're part of something that doesn't exist. History. History doesn't exist. You can't grab a handful of history. It's something that you've made up in your mind as important. What is true is that you are who you are right now. That's what's true. Release on everything that's happened until this moment. Just imagine that you're reborn. Imagine that you popped into existence now. You'll still have those things that feel like memories, but now they're just loose wiring in your brain. They're not about something that was real and happened in the past, because the past doesn't exist. They are now nothing but loose wiring in your brain, and you just popped into existence, and you notice some loose wiring. That's funny. That loose wiring is making me think about some thing that doesn't even exist, because it's the past. So it's not really about the past. It's not about anything that's important. It's about a few loose wires. And how do you make those loose wires stop bothering you? You're doing it right now. Just move to the present. Pick up any object uh, in front of you. Just anything. I've got my phone here. You, You might have a pen or a piece of paper. and Just look at it. It exists right now. This is who you are right now. You, you are the person feeling this and experiencing this right now. Your history doesn't exist. Let it go. You are what you are right now. This is you. You're, you just got reborn. Everything that happened before this doesn't count. Unless it was good. If it was good, you can take it with you and make yourself feel good. But anything that was bothering you was just an interpretation. It's not real. Your past can't bite you. can't hurt you. It's gone. In fact, what could be better than something that bothered you being gone? It's gone. You just got reborn. Now, every time you remind yourself of this... Just touch yourself, look around. Oh, there's nothing in the room here with me. The only thing in the room here with me are objects. And the objects are not hurting me. I like these objects. I bought them myself. It's just objects. Now, having just experienced this for the last few minutes, you can already feel it. You can already feel a little weight come off. And that little feeling you can reinforce, right? It only has to be a small sensation. It could be even smaller than a feeling. It could be the suggestion of a feeling, or maybe you're feeling it. You might say to yourself, I, I think I felt better. I'm not entirely sure, but I think I did. That's all you needed. Just work with that spark. Remind yourself on a, every time it, you need to that you are what you are right now. You're born right now. You just came into the world. You came into your world fully formed. And that stuff from your past is nothing but loose wiring. You have a brain that you can author. It's called neuroplasticity. It's, well, it's a well-demonstrated thing. There's no new age stuff here. And the well-demonstrated part is that if you, let's say, practice a new skill, your brain actually forms new connections and little highways and stuff to support the skill. We know that we, through therapy and other things, that you can get rid of traumas and PTSD in some cases, you know that you can reprogram your brain. And we also know now that the brain grows new brain cells. It used to be that we thought you were born with a certain number of brain cells and you just lost them as you aged. Turns out, no, you actually build new brain cells your whole life. And you can reprogram those dangling wires into whatever you want. Let's say they have too much of a charge, and that's the problem. They're they're around some experience or memory that you didn't like, but they have too much charge. When you think about it, your energy just goes to the roof. Rewire it into your energy parts. Every time you feel energy that's more energy than you want, just plug that into your fitness routine. Do you know what a bad day is for me? a good exercise day. There's no such thing as an entirely bad day. If, you're, if your day is so bad that it makes you, like, anxious and, like, you're angry and you're, uh, that's your exercise day. Congratulations. You're really going to make a big difference in your exercise. So you need to take that wiring, this dangling, and that's all it is, because the histories doesn't exist. To imagine that it was caused by something is useless. It just is what it is. You were just born with it, as if you were born today. But it's true that it creates energy, and it might even seem like negative energy, that little dangling wire in your head connected to that memory. So just rewire it. Stick it into your fitness routine, give yourself a little extra energy, run an extra mile, and make it productive. Tomorrow, is also a good place to live if you're willing to live there productively. Some people think about tomorrow. (laughs) Some people think about tomorrow and then they have an extra thing to worry about. I think about tomorrow and I replace worry with curiosity. Here's another reframe. By the way, these are also from my book I'm working on now. Curiosity. Curiosity is one of the most powerful forces in human existence. We're designed to be curious, because we would die if we weren't. Like, we, we need to look into things. All right, what was that noise? Is this a danger? We have to be curious. You can't turn off curious. So if you've got something that worries you tomorrow, try this. Reframe. I am so curious how this is going to turn out. It's not going to kill me. Most things are not going to kill you, right? Right? Most things are just going to be annoying or embarrassing or you waste your time or you lose some money, whatever. They don't kill you. So reframe your anxiety into curiosity. And here's the second way to do it. Imagine it's your last day on Earth. I just watched a Joe Rogan clip on talking about, you know, seeing his uh, grandparent die and reminding him he, he has a short time on Earth. So it made him more motivated to know that life is limited. You can do that, too. Just say, hey, I'm only here for so long. Whatever comes after this, if anything, it's not going to be this. So let's just see what happens. Let's just see if I can play this game, this existence. I'll just play it like a video game. I'll just see what happens tomorrow. What would happen if I do this? I don't know. What would happen if I took that risk I was always afraid of? Not a physical risk, but like a social risk or a, uh, let's say, career risk. What would happen? What would happen if I went up to that person who's a fucking asshole and just said, you know, I've been putting up with you for so long. You're such a fucking asshole. I don't care who hears me say that. What would happen? What would happen? Aren't you curious? If you feel that tomorrow is a big problem, Try to give yourself an even bigger problem. <laughs> and you think that sounds like bad advice. But what I mean by a bigger problem is something more interesting. Just more interesting. Make yourself curious. Your curiosity will, will start to compete with your anxiety. And it could even pass it. If you play it like a game, you're way less interested in losing. If you play it like everything you do tomorrow is the beginning, you know, and the end of your death. You know, it's like everything's life and death. It isn't. Almost nothing is. Almost everything can be redone or fixed or corrected or whatever. It kinda of doesn't matter if tomorrow doesn't work out. Because there's the day after, right? So just get curious, what would happen if I do this? What would happen if I don't act the way I always act? What would happen if I dress differently? What would happen if I made a system to go to the gym every day. What would happen if I asked out that person that I thought was too good for me? Who knows? Let's find out. Get curious. I talked to somebody who had used the following reframe. Here's one for you. Imagine, imagine you go into a room full of strangers and you have to meet people and make conversation. Very scary for most of us, right? If you don't have those skills, very scary. But now suppose I told you, right, I'm going to hire you, and I'm going to pay you very well. You're going to be really well paid to do this. I want you to go into that party of strangers and pretend, just pretend to have social skills and just meet as many people as you can, and I'll even give you, I'll give you a bonus for how many people you meet. Completely sober. Now, how many people would have a much easier time doing it knowing it's not for themselves. They're just doing it as a job. It doesn't even matter if anybody turns you down. Well, it's just, you know, I'll just go to the next one. It's just a job. You would, you would take this thing that, like, scares you socially about your embarrassment, and it would change it almost instantly into just something you're doing. Just something you're doing. You would, you would instantly change fear into curiosity. All right, I wonder if I can get that one to talk to me. All right, these guys, these ones over here look like they are in a group. Watch me, watch me go right into the middle of that group, stop their conversation, just see if I can do it. Just see what happens. Just see what happens. Now, when you went home that night and you thought about all the people who sort of rejected you by not really being open to your, your contacts, the first thing you noticed is there were, there were almost none of them. <laughs> the thing you were afraid of was never real. Turns out people were happy to talk to you surprise people are just happy to talk to you cuz they had the same problem you did they just wanted somebody to talk to them so they didn't feel awkward so here are the reframes that help you the most history doesn't exist you can gamify gamify your daily actions to take the power out of the anxiety what if it's just a game what if i just treat these people like they're in my next practice you know, event. I'm just practicing. And I heard from somebody uh, yesterday who tried that reframe and completely worked. And Now it's somebody who can walk into a crowded room and just start talking to people. <laughs> and all they do is just say, well, I'll just gamify it. See how many people I can turn into a friend. Whatever. And it works. So these little reframes are insanely powerful. It just doesn't seem like they would be. And they require some reinforcement. Now, I love looking at your comments when you get quiet in terms of saying what I'm saying is either good or bad. When you're telling me that what I'm saying is either good or bad as I'm saying it, I know I'm not having the same impact because those are just your reflexive responses. But when you get quiet, I know I'm hitting something. (laughs) I'm definitely hitting something right now. All right, feedback time. How many of you feel differently already? Just right now. How many of you feel different right now? On locals, they're a little faster, and it's mostly yeses. It's like a stream of yeses. YouTube catching up? All yeses. Yeah. Now, this is not... um, There there are some noes, of course. But look how easy this was. So that's what the upcoming book will be. It'll be a number of reframes so that um, if you've got a specific problem, you could just go to that chapter and say, all right, what's the reframe for this? And uh, then you just reinforce it, and it's going to make a big difference. All right. That, ladies and gentlemen, is where we're going to end today because I left you in a good place. You've had two simultaneous sips, lucky, Lucky you. You've learned to release the history because it doesn't exist. You've learned to gamify your current situation and replace anxiety with curiosity. And you are much better people than you were 15 minutes ago. Way more capable, way more connected, way more, say, tool-rich. You just gained three tools that other people didn't have. We're going to close it on a closing simultaneous sip, and then I'm going to let the YouTube people go. YouTube, thanks for joining. Spotify, too. Go. Ah. Well, I know you're saying it's the best ever live stream, but wait until tomorrow. Oh, my goodness. Tomorrow? Aren't you curious about tomorrow? I'll see you later, YouTube.